We're going to wrap up today a three-week series that we've been in called Yes. And today you've already heard the Christmas story, the message of Christmas. And it's great to hear it every year and to think about it. But the problem with it is if we don't say yes to Jesus, really Christmas means nothing more than just it's a nice story. I'd like to wrap this up by talking about our, the one reason so often that many of us do not say yes to Jesus. Uh, it was kind of reminding me a few days ago, actually a couple of weeks ago, I was out with some guys for lunch. I don't know if, you know, guys, we all do this, but every time you get to go to lunch with some guys, I don't know if women do this or not, I've never been a woman, so I don't know, but uh, the deal is, the deal is uh, we go out and we have lunch, and when we finish lunch, you know, we have, the, the bill comes. And guys kind of like to compete over the bill. Uh, you know, I'll pay the bill. And no, you can't. No, no, no. I, I don't want you to pay the bill. I'll pay my own way. We have this conversation about that. And if we finally allow somebody else to pay the bill, then what do we say? Well, I'll get it next time. We always say that. It's kind of like we couldn't possibly let somebody do something for us that was free. And at Christmas, it's kind of even worse than that because at Christmas, you know, I'm not talking about the, the worst thing at Christmas, and it's not the in-law thing, okay? Whatever that may be with you guys, then you know what I'm talking about if you have those. Um, but at Christmas, the worst thing it could be is that you go somewhere to some family gathering and somebody gives you a gift. And what would be the absolute worst thing if you went and somebody gave you a gift? You didn't have one for them. You all know the problem, right? And so what do you do? When that happens, you either, you never tell the truth. You usually lie. You say, well, you know, I, I forgot your gift. It's at the house. You know, or, and you haven't even bought it yet or anything like that. You know, the deal is, is we, we, we have this problem, this, this pride problem with thinking that if somebody gives me something, I have to give them something in return. Why can't we just say, you know, to that person who gives us a gift and we don't have a gift for them, well, I didn't buy you a gift. Merry Christmas to me. That's pretty bold, you know? It's the truth. The problem is, is when we bring this attitude into a relationship with God, I, I get in this, I, it gets us in trouble because truth is, every religious system in the world, except for Christianity, is based upon this, this idea of if, if I will do something for God, God will love me or accept me or do something like that, whatever the God it is you follow in these other religious systems. And the problem with that is we never know in those systems how much is enough. And we also, because we never know how much is enough, it always leaves us in doubt and it always leads us to guilt. Even in our prayer life, it leads us to guilt as well. I mean, you've had a great week and you've done some stuff for God, you know, for people or whatever, and you go to God in prayer, what do you do? You feel pretty confident in your prayer life because your week has been based upon your accomplishments. Or if it's been the other way, maybe during the week you haven't been too good, you've been naughty, not nice, and you go and you feel like you need to pray to God, and, and you go to him, and, and you go to him kind of like with your head down, like a coward. See, our natural tendency is to come to God based on our performance. God accepts me, we believe, because of our goodness, but the reality is, is that's just not true. And sometimes this morning, I wonder this morning if some people invited you to church, gave you one of those little green boxes, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because you're a guest. I'm not, I would never do that for you. Okay, I'm never going to try to embarrass guests. But if you got some a little green box with some stuff in it, somebody invited you to church, and you showed up this morning here at Great Oaks, and, and, and you're going like, you know, and you're going like, ah, I'm going because they gave me a box. 
But you're thinking in your mind, you know, I can't go to church because if the people knew what, if these people here knew what I did about myself, they wouldn't really accept me. Well, let me just put you these. Everybody here is messed up. Everybody. And this includes me. We all have failures and faults in our life. People, Christians aren't people who are perfect. But we have discovered something. That the Christmas message is not about measuring up to a God because God didn't send us, didn't send us a counselor or he didn't send us just a king. He didn't send us any of those things because, and we're just going to read a little piece of the Christmas story again. Uh, and I want to camp out on one word that I don't want to just take about five or ten minutes and kind of, kind of open up a little bit this morning. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we read the story of the shepherds. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And this is a, kind of a really nice picture. Um, I was actually in Bethlehem about four weeks ago. And this next picture shows the kind of the hillside. This is from the shepherd's fields looking across to modern day Bethlehem there. And, and it's, just a, it's just a hill. And I was sitting there, though. My wife and I were sitting there in Bethlehem thinking about, I was thinking about, you know, wonder what it would be like. And I knew this was Christmas was coming. What it would be like today to be in Bethlehem and think about what had happened all those years ago. But it says, the scripture says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then it says in the next verse, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. You know, this was prior to uh, cool lights and, uh, and light shows. This was a time when, when the, the lightest thing would have been a, a candle in the darkness or maybe a campfire. And all of a sudden, this bright light comes upon them, and, 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 and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They didn't know what was going on. They were just shepherds, simple guys that were on a hillside. Verse 10 says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Not just any old news. I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. This is not simply something that's, that's ever been done before. And this joy and this great joy and this great good news, it will be for all the people, even you shepherds, who are considered the lowliest of the low. And it, then it tells us this one thing, and this is one I want to camp out on for the next five or ten minutes before we close up and sing a song and go home. It says, this is the purpose of Christmas. It says, today in the town of David, a savior, a savior, N not a helper, not a king, not a counselor, not somebody who's the way shower. I've heard that before. A savior has been born to you. And he is Christ the Lord. See, when we talk about a savior, this is not about, has nothing to do with trading or performing or bartering or earning. Because a savior is somebody that bails you out of a situation that you're in. And this word cast a picture of what our relationship with God is because when God came into the world, up to this point, people would try to, and we still try to do this, try to barter their way with God. Try to, you know, we, try to, we think that, that, that the message of, of following Christ has to be more than it is. That what we, we have this list of things we feel like we have to do to, to, to measure up to God. But he says, no, he comes, Jesus Christ is coming, he is going to be a savior and if this ever gets from our head to our heart, it will transform our perspective on God and our relationship to him. If we can get this into our lives, it will, it will eliminate the ought to out of religion. 
And this is good news despite, in spite of what everything that has gone on in our lives. Because you know what we need more than anything else from God? We don't need somebody to show us the way. We don't need somebody else. We need somebody. We need from God. We need to be rescued. And when, we look, when God looked down, he saw that we didn't need a coach. And he already knew this from the beginning of time. We didn't need a teacher or financial counselor. He saw that we needed a savior. Now, for some of you here, if you haven't come said yes to Jesus Christ yet, this may not be something that you've really thought about. This may be something that for you is not only a big yawn, but it's maybe, uh, you, it, it causes you some uh, uh, trepidation because you're thinking about, what is this guy talking about? I need a savior. Well, let me tell you a story, a true story. Many years ago, in the state of Virginia where I used to, used to live, if, if I, you t- I talk long enough, you figure I'm not from here. Um, even though I've been here almost 14 years now, 13 and a half years, I, I kind of lost some of my Virginia accent. But my yowls will come out every once in a while. But uh, many years ago, I remember when I was 10 years old, that was 41, uh, oh, excuse me, 51 years ago. I tried to make myself younger than I was. I remember this story because it was so vivid in my mind because my dad and I were driving down the road across, down the, down, down the hill from our house, uh, there was a set of railroad tracks. And we came up to it, and, 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 and in front of us was this old pickup truck. And I recognized the guy in the pickup truck. He was one of the vice assistant principals in our school in the school that I went to, the elementary school. And uh, <laughs> he was a brilliant guy. Couldn't tie his shoes, but he was a brilliant guy. You know, one of those guys, so smart he couldn't figure out. But he was, a, he was a really neat guy. And he was on the railroad tracks, and he was decided he was going to go on across. He kind of stopped and looked, and it was the, the thing. And all of a sudden, as soon as he went across, the, the arms come down. And, he, and, and all of a sudden, I don't know if he got flustered or what happened, but all of a sudden, his truck just... <laughs> And he's sitting in the middle of the railroad tracks, and he doesn't seem to be, he seems to be oblivious to what's going on around him. And we look down the railroad tracks, we could see the distance a train coming. And he just sits there. And so my dad says, sit here. He told me to do that. I'm glad he did. And a couple other guys saw the same, jumps out of their cars, goes up to him, and tries to get him to realize what's happening. You need to get out of your truck or do something. And guess what he did? He thought they were trying to do something to him, so he locks his doors. And then they started pointing, and he finally realizes he needs somebody to save him. And they, puts it, they tell him to put it in neutral. They pushed it off the tracks just in time. It was really dramatic. It would have been a great movie. But I'll never forget that because here was this person who needed saving. He was about to be killed. And he didn't even realize it. See, that may be the perspective that you have, uh, that Jesus has been trying to get you to understand in your life, because maybe your perspective on, on this whole Christian thing is your life, uh, that you feel like that Jesus or God has been trying to mess with your stuff. Your husband or your wife keeps giving you these CDs, these Christian things. Or, or your brother-in-law gives you books you don't read. And, and, and you get a new job, and your boss, uh, oh, a boss, him or her, basically has a Bible laying on their desk. You're going, oh, my gosh, can I get away from this stuff? And so for you, thinking you need a Savior is a big yawn. And the reality is, for many of us, some of us have been running from Jesus for years and years and years. And we don't even know we're running. And this approach to saving us sometimes confuses us too because, because 
God doesn't work the way sometimes we think he works because he's not like, if, if, if we're in a car sitting on the track and we don't recognize our need, God doesn't come and rip the door off and save us. He will stand on the sidelines until we're ready for him, maybe moments away from, and we realize all the stuff we need and all the stuff in our past, and we start to panic. And when we finally decide we need a Savior, guess what? He's there. He's there. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He was talking to some Christians who thought that God didn't care. He says in Romans 2, 2, 4, Don't you realize how kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? And this is how God works. As long as you are running from God and you see no need for a Savior, God's response will be kindness and tolerance and patience. And so sometimes not realizing that's the way God is, unlike when I grew up in the South, and one time at a, at a, at a, at a, a tent revival. I don't, anybody ever been to a tent revival before? There was actually one uh, two years ago uh, over in, in Washington, you know, on a little church there. And I drove by and I'm going, oh my gosh, it, it had me a flashback to my old days. Because I could hear the guy, the, the preacher, ranting and raving. And it's a thing like, in the fiery pits of hell! Or, you know, just kind of that kind of thing. You know, it was that kind of thing going on and I was going like it was not the scare tactics I didn't grow up with that really even though I was Southern Baptist I know you think that was true it wasn't true at all see we need to think we think that God is absent sometimes because of his kindness and his patience but the moment the hour the millisecond that you and I realize that my life is going wrong whenever there is a wake-up call whether it's illness or death or major loss in that moment the Savior will intersect with our lives and this morning, I want to be straightforward, not offensive, but sometimes it is to be straightforward. If you're here and you haven't realized this and you think everything is fine, you don't need a Savior, you need a Savior. Because there are just some things in your life that you cannot fix without God's interceding. There are moral issues and health issues and anger issues and money issues and addictions you know, and if you think you can fix those, what I'll just do, I'll go get a chair and sit over here and just wait a few minutes while you fix yourself. You, you can't fix some of those things on your own. Because every time we look in the mirror, we're reminded we need a Savior. And the moment you throw your hands up and say, I need a Savior, He is there. That's what Christmas is all about. God sent exactly what you and I needed most. Not only back then, but now. I love this quote from Rick Warren. He says it this way. He says, you don't need a Savior because you might die tonight, even though that's true. You need a Savior because you have to live tomorrow. God doesn't just save you for the future. He saves you for now, too, as well. And there's all kinds of things in our, in our life that we know of that's true because so many, so many people are struggling with marriage relationships or, or relationships with their kids who are out of control or whatever the thing may be in your life or, or, or lack of control and, and, and feeling secure in your job or whatever the deal may be. And the reality is God wants to save us, not just for the future, but for now. 
And there's this unique dynamic in Christianity as well that we find that, that really it's, it's the relationship between the saved and the Savior, between the rescued and the rescuer, between the delivered and the deliverer. And it's unlike any other relationship in the world. You can see it dramatically played out in some, in some recent, uh, some old stuff and some recent stuff in drama if you want to know what it looks like. You look last year, the, the Metamora uh, uh, group, choral group, and uh, play, they had a play, they did Les Miserables. Remember that? Some of you went to it. Went to it. And in the opening scene, we see this dynamic between the rescued and the rescuer. If you if you don't remember that one, then if you saw Gladiator, <laughs> the closing scene of Gladiator is that is that same thing. Or if you saw the opening and closing scenes of Saving Private Ryan, this powerful exchange of emotion and devotion between the saved and the savior. I saw it played out years ago in my own life. There was a little lady, when I was a pastor of a church in Virginia for 13 years there, there was a little lady there named Lucille. And Lucille was, a, was kind of a miserable little lady. She, I didn't really know a lot about her. She came to our church. She was very, very elderly at the time. She had a lot of health problems. I didn't really know what was going on with her. She was always grumpy. That was Lucille. But I got to know some stuff about Lucille, and I kind of finally discovered one day, she didn't show up, she would be there every week, and then all of a sudden, for about three weeks, she didn't show up. And that was hugely unusual, because every Sunday, Lucille would come up to me and say something to me, sometimes not very nice. And you remember those things. And so I asked somebody about Lucille, and they said, hey, Lucille has got a problem. She's got an addiction problem. She's addicted to alcohol. And sometimes she goes into these deep funks and she just doesn't go out into the world for a while. And so I asked, I said, I said, well, you think it'd be appropriate for me to go by and see Lucille? And so I did. I got there and Lucille was at one of the lowest places she said of her life. Later on, she told me this. She was considering taking her own life. And I called another lady that knew her well and we, together, she and I went over and we kind of did an intervention for Lucille. We got her into a recovery center. We got her straightened, got her headed in the right direction. And we almost forcefully did this to her. And the funny thing about this, after this was all over, months and months later, even though she didn't want to do it at the time, she didn't feel like, you know, she was going to, I could save myself and she knew she couldn't. After that, man, I could do no wrong in Lucille's mind. I was her savior. I really wasn't, but she saw it as that. She was the most devoted person to me. She would come and she would say nice things to me. She would just praise me. She would, anybody, you know, if anybody said anything bad about, she was the one to, because she had this unfiltered devotion, this, 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 this unsolicited devotion and this emotion toward, because I helped her through a tough time in life. See, when we come face to face with the idea that Jesus is our Savior, he's not just our friend, he's not just somebody who came to show us a way, it changes everything about your relationship with him. You see the scriptures differently, not as a list of rules that bind you, but as guidelines to free you. It alters your desire to spend time with Jesus. And we don't see it as a burden anymore, but as a delight. And then when Jesus in Scripture and, and through our prayer time asks us to do something, you know what our response is? Yes. 
Yes, that's the answer. Now, what's the question? That's how we approach Jesus, because we have that kind of devotion, that kind of love for him, when we realize what he's done for us. And you know what the scripture calls it? It says, this is good news of great joy. This is good news of great joy. Because anything that you lay at the feet of the Savior, he will save. I've known over the years couples with horrible marriages that came to the place of saying, God, we can't do this anymore. The only thing that can happen is for you to take it and do something about it. And they've laid their marriage at the feet of the Savior. It was messy getting through it. (laughs) But God helped them to save it. I've known people with horrible addictions, drug, alcohol, every kind of addiction that you can think of. They come to a place in life and they say, you know, I can't do this anymore. I need a Savior. And guess what? They discover that Jesus is that Savior. And they lay their problem at his feet and he begins to work in their lives and change it. People with financial difficulties. See, only when we lay it at his feet and say, I can't do this anymore, does God come into our life. For some of this this morning, I don't know if it happened here, but it always happens in different places. You, know, you come here and you're singing a song. We didn't really stand a lot today. We sit most of the time and sing songs. But sometimes you'll be sitting and you'll be singing a song, and somebody next to you, and you're just kind of standing there kind of singing your song, or maybe not even singing at all. But the reality is there's somebody standing next to you, and all of a sudden you look over and they got tears running down their face. You're wondering, what's going on with them? Are they weird? No, maybe it's something in that song. Or something that touches them because where God has touched their lives in incredible ways. I remember that years ago when I was, I was in one of the lowest places in ministry in many, many years, about 15, 16 years ago. I was at a conference, and I've shared this with some of you before, a conference in, in uh, of all places, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Man, how can you get sad in Fort Lauderdale, Florida? <laughs> but I was at a church there. The very first song at that conference the band did was a song uh, by Hillsong called I'll Never Be the Same. And I found myself in that conference. <laughs> first, first song. We hadn't even got started. Nobody had said anything. The band says, we're going to sing a song. Get up, start singing a song. And, and they do that. And I'm sitting there weeping like a baby. Uh, you can look at the words. I'll never be the same. See, when, when God comes in and saves us, we have this unfiltered devotion, this this incredible emotion toward him as well. The good news is this. The message of Christmas is God sent a Savior and he is Christ the Lord. And I just want to simply close by saying this. The first step in embracing the message of Christmas, and this is why we're here today, not just to hear music, not just to look at Scripture, is to embrace the message of Scripture. The first step in embracing the message of Christmas is to say yes to Jesus. To say yes to Jesus. So let me read the scripture again, this, this part of that scripture. Let me read it with a little more enthusiasm than I did the first time, okay? Scripture says this. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for whom? All people. Do you, is that including you? Yeah, you're all people. We're all all people. It's for everybody. Because today in the town of David, a Savior 
exactly what we need has been born to you. And if you don't know who he is, he's Christ the Lord. He's Christ the Lord. So let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand, but I am going to ask you to do something about it in just a minute. Would anybody here say I need a Savior? Let me explain something to you. You don't have to be saved multiple times to follow Christ. There's a point in time when you follow Christ, but then there's a process in your life of giving more and more and more of yourself. There's some big words we won't call sanctification. Anyway, you don't have to know that word. But it's a process in our lives when we continue to say yes to Jesus. We say yes to him at a point. And you need to do that the first time. Say, yes, I want to follow you. And then we continue to say yes. It's kind of like in marriage. (laughs) You said yes at the altar or in the church or wherever it was. Was that the last time you said, I love you or yes to your spouse? If it is, you're in trouble. Right? It's a process of continually saying, I am devoted to you. Yes. So today I'm going to ask you to do something at the end of our service. Those little little stickers that says yes on them, pull them out. If you don't have them already, if you didn't fill one out, if it went around you somewhere, just put your first name on it. That's all you got to do. And we're going to do, I think it's important from time to time to do something very tangible. To say to God, yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I need a Savior. Yes, this is an area of my life I need to give over to you. So this morning, in just a moment after I pray, what we're going to do is this. I'm going to ask you to take that sticker. And if you say, maybe if it's your first time to say yes to Jesus, you can do it. Or if it's your, you said yes a long time ago, but you want to say yes to him as a recommitment. Or maybe during this series, I know people have said yes to Jesus in different ways. This is a time to do something tangible to say to him, not to anybody else, to say to him, I mean business about yes. So what you're going to do is you're going to peel that off. And on each side, go ahead and light up the, there you go. These two boards are called yes boards. And your sticker will stick on those yes boards if you peel off the backing, okay? And just come forward and put it on the board as an act of commitment to God. Now, two things you'll do after you do that. If it's a recommitment to God and you really don't need any other follow-up just to do that, you can go back to your seat after you've done that and sit back down because we're going to have a closing song. But, but, if you need prayer in some area of your life, you say yes, but you, you really need somebody to pray with you, there's going to be some folks on both sides here. Go ahead and get in position, folks, that are doing that. Uh, there's going to be two on this side, two on that side. And, uh, and, uh, and in doing that, this is some of our uh, leadership in our church is going to be doing this. These are some of our folks that are the, uh, I guess you call them elders in some churches, but that's about as close for, as we use the term here, be on both sides near these doors and those doors just to pray with you. Or if you, if you said yes to Jesus for the first time, you need to go and let one of these people know. And they will encourage you about some next steps that you can take if you've never said yes to Jesus before in your life. I hope that 
you would consider this as a way of firming up some commitments. And there's nothing more important than you can do during this Christmas season than to say yes to Jesus. Let's pray.